Welcome to Asian Book Club, where we highlight Asian and Asian American authors. We are your hosts, Jimmy and Sabangin. And I'm Stephen Park. And I just finished listening to an episode of a podcast that I really like. They did a special one off episode mm-hmm. where they went to Disneyland. Yes. And they just did uh, random rides. Mm-hmm. They then raided both the rides and the foods. Yes. And it got me thinking about the time that we went to Disneyland. Yeah, recently, just last November. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I, you weren't that excited when I first brought up the idea, right? I mean, I was a little excited, but the reason for the dampened excitement was because the last time that I went there, I was 15 years old and I was there with not only my family, but my mom's sister's family so it was a lot of children not only from my family but the time that we went was in july which is peak Mm. season when there are children everywhere and and southern california heat where the sun just beats down on you the whole day yes and we waited in line for one ride and we were only able to ride two different things that whole day and it was hot and I felt bored and overstimulated now that I know that I'm partially autistic now I understand why I was overstimulated but still the point was I didn't have very good memories of Disneyland yeah and I was kind of the same growing up so I grew up about 15 depending on traffic, is somewhere between 15 and 30 minutes away from it. Mm -hmm. So it was somewhat available. The Mm -hmm. cost is not what the cost is now. So you could actually go to Disneyland without having your whole life savings being spent. (laughs) But as I started growing up, one of my closest friends, he ended up taking me there because he had free tickets from his work. It was a prize Mm -hmm. that he won. Yeah. And we rode the single rider lines because we don't need to go hand in hand on every ride. (laughs) So we rode so many rides and Mm -hmm. we had such a fun time. And that was actually the day that half the park actually had a blackout. And Mm. one of the major like Rose Bowl games were happening in California. Mm. So it was jam packed with half of the park only open. Oh my gosh. And still that memory of it was way better than I ever remembered Disneyland Mm. being as a kid. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that difference of going as a family or as a kid and having things that you need to take care of. Right. Versus I'm here to have fun for myself. Exactly. Which was the experience I really wanted to give to you. And I got it. And it was so much fun. Like, I felt like a child again. Like, that's how much joy I felt being at Disneyland this time around. Yeah, because we got to just hang out. We got to eat. We had, you know, we don't have a ton of money, but we had enough money. Like, we saved for this trip to kind of go there, eat the different foods, Mm -hmm. try the different things. Uh, we planned for a while for we this did. trip. We did. We watched a lot of YouTube videos, and we also like researched things. I researched things on Pinterest and yeah. figured out what were the best routes to take. Where do we have to go first? Which ones have the shortest lines at what time of day? How to do line drop? Exactly. Oh my gosh, it was madness, but it was so it much was. fun. You mean rope drop? Rope drop. Yes. Is that what it's called? Rope drop. At the beginning the of the day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Rope drop. So. The important things, though, are... Because I think a lot of people are very jaded of what Disneyland is. There is a lot of money that goes into going into Disneyland as an experience. Right. 
there are a lot of kids on a lot of these days. Yes. But I think it's all about planning. I mean, we don't have kids, so Mm -hmm. it's not a concern of ours. So we went in November. Mm -hmm. And if you go the week after Thanksgiving until about mid-December, I think there's like a fine time of like two to three weeks Mm -hmm. where there are very little kids because they're back Mm -hmm. in school from Thanksgiving. Right. And then I think from February, March, maybe... I think February, March are like that prime spots where the kids are going back to school. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of people are taking vacations. Right. So if you go there as adults, it's so much fun. A mm-hmm. lot less lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to enjoy the different rides without kids screaming all around you, yes. waiting in line. <laughs> um, also, Disneyland, the app, did this. I don't know Genie how long. Plus. Th- yeah. Well, Genie Plus, but also the food thing. Oh, yes. Being able to order ahead of time and being able to just pick it up when you get there at that specific time. Yeah, it made it so much more worth it. It was very much worth it. All right. So favorite rides. Do you remember what your favorite rides were? So my favorite rides were the were Star Wars. Uh, oh my goodness, the name escapes me. It escapes me too, but it's the one with the big one, right? Yes, the new one. The, I think the newest one, the one that keeps breaking down and people wait hours. Yeah. If they don't have the Genie Plus app, they wait hours in the line. Well, even with Genie Plus, you have to pay like an extra $20 right. per reservation to right. get there. So. Totally. But that one's really good. Star Wars was one of them. There was also The Nightmare Before Christmas, and I think we shared that same favorite ride which is the haunted mansion right around christmas time they change it to a nightmare before Before christmas Christmas. theme um i can't remember what other rides were my favorite i feel like for the pure thrill of it Mm -hmm. you really liked their Incredicoaster. oh yes but i I, that's not i mean are we talking about california adventure too oh yeah i'm putting putting it all in the bunch definitely so Incredicoaster is absolutely there um, the Cars ride is absolutely there. Oh, that one was good. That's so fun. But we ended up riding Incredicoaster three times. Three times. We rode the Cars ride twice. twice. We rode the Guardians of the Galaxy ride Ooh, three times. That's another favorite, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. So I think to, that's to say that most of my favorite rides were in California Adventure rather than Disney. But Disney was great too. Yeah. We also ruined some family's experience on Guardians of the Galaxy. I ruined it. <laughs> Because I wanted to take a really good picture, and so I, like, we did we something. We threw our, our hands hand. up in the air, and whoever was behind us, poor family, their their children were small, so they couldn't be seen behind our hands. <laughs> but it gives them more of a reason to go back to Disneyland. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully they were able to go back in line and get another experience. Uh, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> totally. Well, all this to say... I know that Disneyland is a corporation. Yes. I'm going to acknowledge that it's a corporation. We also know that theme parks are resource suckers. Yes. They do drain the economy. But... As, some, as a person who lives on this earth who wants to gain experiences, I think it was something that was worth the... Not more than just the money and the time, but just the effort of going there and then just imbibing in what they have. Because genuinely, they create this world mm-hmm. of almost utopia where everyone, every person that works there is so nice to you. Right. Everything is available. So, yes, I agree. 
Disney as a major shell corporation, mm-hmm. until they sponsor us, aren't the greatest. <laughs> but um, I do think that in terms of picking up experience, it was really fun. I think so too. I definitely coming from an entertainment coming from an entertainment perspective is definitely enjoyable. I'm not saying that I'm not going back. I definitely want to go back to Star Wars. Like that particular experience was mind blowing. And I don't use that word often, but I enjoyed myself. Yeah. All right. Well, we may not be fully recommending Disneyland, but what can we recommend this week? So our recommendation of the week is a small business. This is someone you should be following. This is someone you should be supporting. This business is called Collective Rest. It's founded and led by Cassandra Lam. I first found Collective Rest while Cassandra Lam was still with Join the Cosmos. And during the Georgia Spa shootings, Cassandra Lam created this Collective Rest experience where women and femmes of Asian diaspora were able to gather through Zoom with their mics off, with their cameras off, and we were able to just rest together, whether that was through yoga nidra, whether that was through breathing exercises or just movement exercises. There was no visual stimulation from other people. We were able to just nap together, whether that was napping lying down or if we were just sitting up and closing our eyes. This was a space where we were all able to just rest for 30 to 45 minutes together. On their website, collective-rest.com, Cassandra Lam describes the experience as trauma-informed guided rest practices to transport you from tired to tranquil. And there are three different ways that Cassandra offers these services. First, the Zoom calls each month that are, that are donation-based. For those who are able to pay, they can donate to their Venmo, to Cassandra's Venmo. But for those who are not able to pay out of pocket, it's it's donation based, so it's totally free if you can't if you can't pay. The second is if you want to access recordings, there's a monthly donation via Patreon that you can subscribe to. And lastly, Cassandra also offers her services to workplace organizations. So if you want to bring Collective Rest to your company, you can reach out to Cassandra and then from there, she will contact the contact person you share with her and you can bring this experience to the rest of your coworkers. Yep. And as an outsider who walks in as Jamee is finishing up her session, Mm -hmm. it looks very restful. It's very restful. Extremely restful. But once again, where can we find her? We can find Cassandra at collective-rest.com. That's the Collective Rest website. And you can also find Cassandra on Instagram at collective underscore rest. Awesome. And that's our recommendation for the week. Yeah. Okay, and we're getting into the start of our book, which is... Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. So to recap, last week we started reading chapters 1 through 7. So that was page 1 through 89. Yeah, and so I felt like I was trying to figure out 
the characters during the first seven chapters. Totally. One thing I asked Jamie to do was to help me create a chart of how these characters are related. I think we're learning a lot about them as we go. So not every, not the whole story's told yet. Right, definitely. And with little fires everywhere, the interesting part of the book is that it doesn't only follow one character. There are multiple characters with multiple points of view, which is why we felt that it was necessary to create this character chart. And so the breakdown are there are two primary families who are spotlighted. First are the Richardsons. The Richardsons is this core nuclear family of six. We have the father named Bill, the mother named Elena, and the four children, Lexi, Trip, Moody, and Izzy. They are what you would call the white picket fence family. They seem very perfect from the outside for the most part. They definitely have their own troubles, but Elena and Bill have stable jobs. They own these properties. While the Warrens, the other family, are tenants to the Richardson's rental property on Winslow Road. The Warrens are a family of two, the mother, Mia, and the child, Pearl. They're not well-to-do like the Richardsons. They're the opposite. They're more travelers. They go from place to place. And once they get to a place, they don't have the most money. They shop at thrift stores. They don't have many belongings. And so we follow these two families, the Richardsons and the Warrens, and we see what becomes of this relationship from property owners and tenants. Which I th- I think for the Warrens, the interesting thing that kind of developed over the seven chapters mm-hmm. are they may not be financially well off, but it seems like they genuinely have a care for each other. Right. Something that they've built. And I mean, the story with Mia as these seven chapters unfold is that she's not looking for financial gains. It seems like her artwork is really like really well done definitely and prosperous too yeah so she if she wanted to turn out this work she can but she burns her photos after she's done with them she doesn't do these things on a scale of trying to become a famous artist right but it's much more from the source of the art definitely and in case y'all don't already know spoilers ahead oh yeah this is we're talking about chapters one through seven yes we're gonna say all the things that we thought and all the details that came with it yeah all right so what are what is what impressions did you get with shaker heights like do you believe this is the best community do you believe that the best communities are planned So my impression of Shaker Heights didn't really change from the first time I read this. Like I mentioned in the last episode, this is my reread of Little Fires Everywhere and I'm rereading it as an ebook when the first time I read it was audiobook. And my impression of Shaker Heights was that it's a little small suburban area with families that have perfectly spaced yards and perfect appearances and the best schools and very much cookie cutter. That was the impression that I had in the past. And even coming into it this second time, that's the same impression I have. Answering the question, do I believe the best communities are planned? No, I do not think that the best communities are planned. I believe that the best communities are supported. 
I Shaker Heights kind of hit a personal note of mm. the the area that I grew up in. Totally. Which are when they describe the planned communities in the story, mm-hmm. some of the stuff that they said were the house can only be painted certain colors. Mm-hmm. The lawn care had to be maintained. Mm-hmm. The other funny thing is you had to drive to find the gas that's the cheapest. Mm, yes. And these are all highlights of the area that I grew up in. Mm. We even had cul-de-sacs in these larger neighborhoods where you couldn't park along the street during certain hours of the night mm. so that security can pass by. I, I don't know if it was security for us police, but they pass by and they drive past these large cul-de-sacs and they can look down the road and see if any cars are there and that way they can spot if something bad is happening like that that's how planned these communities are interesting i think in the areas that are the most planned and seem the most calm Mm -hmm. seemingly can be the most dangerous and the most chaotic Mm. i actually was talking to my friend who was she is from Ohio, mm. and I asked her if she knew about Shaker Heights, and she did confirm that mm. it it is what this story is telling us. So I thought it was really, yeah, that's an area that Celeste Ng was living in, right? Familiar with, yes. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. I When I think about planned communities, it's a little different on Guam. Planned communities tend to be gated communities, so I didn't have access to those, although the village I lived in was very much suburban. I didn't have that same experience of having security watching over our street. I definitely had a different type of security, but that's why I think planned communities in itself are not always the best. Like, yes, they might be gated, but then I also hear of lots of parties going haywire in there, which is why I don't think that means that they are quote unquote the best. Well, they're also gated, but also the question arises of why are they gated exactly exactly what resonated the most in this first seven chapters with you Stephen? so i thought this i thought these first chapters hit pretty hard Mm. when we think about a lot of the recent news and history that have happened within the last three years with the different racial um tensions yeah, with the different racial tensions that have kind of come up, yeah. this book, I felt like, hit a little bit extra hard. Mm. I saw a lot of the notes from this story of, mm-hmm. especially with the rental unit, or when they talk about Miss Richardson's interest with the rental unit, mm-hmm. of how they don't even need it. But what they do is they rent it out to people that are needing it. Oh. They even say that she sees it as a charity. charity. Yep, oh. she gives it to people she feels deserves it. Mm. So it's kind of this sense of, oh, so you feel like you're better than these people mm-hmm. and you're handing it out to them. Mm-hmm. Which, she doesn't need to own this property. She doesn't. But they get enough financial gain for, I forget what they called it, but they get financial gain for their little fun activities that they do with their family definitely so just vacation things right whereas other people like me and pearl and mr yang Mm -hmm. who's the chinese tenant Mm -hmm. all kind of need this because of the fact that that's where they are in their current life right their stage right definitely and in relation to that the part of the story where izzy blows up at her orchestra teacher yeah like the blatant racism of this teacher like i do know that it exists it happened to me as well growing up but being reminded of that how 
the teacher was like do you not understand me do i need to say it in ebonics and i was like oh my gosh i can't believe those words came out of this character's mouth but also i've heard words like these come out of other teachers mouths and i'm like wow 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 because it's not a microaggression at that point right no. like we like to use these new words that we have like microaggression but this is just no aggression. it's blatant it's blatant racism yeah. it's pretty sad especially yeah. for this girl that they describe i can't remember her name but her name is deja yeah for her who is described as very meek very passive and she but wasn't, also very kind to her classmates yeah, and she wasn't trying to do anything wrong she was trying her best and yes. then for this teacher to blow back at her like that for right. no reason Ugh. yeah yeah that was oof that i didn't i remembered that scene so clearly from my last reading of it and i didn't realize how soon it happened mm. it i i guess I knew these little details were there, and then when this big one came, I was just floored. And knowing that that this still continues daily is very disheartening, and it brings me to what Mia asked Izzy, what are you going to do about it? And having that empowerment to know that you can do something about it was also in connection to that what resonated with me like yeah what are we gonna do about this in real life right which is that kind of leads me into one of the things i found the most interesting with the first seven chapters Mm -hmm. are the relationships that are forming between Mm -hmm. different people yeah so me and izzy uh, especially with Izzy starting to go into... Well, they had that big talk at the table. Right. Where Izzy sat down. Mia made her the sandwich, sandwich. with the butter and the sugar. Yes. Which she makes for her own, her own daughter. Yeah. Which I think has a lot of meaning and value to that. Absolutely. That bridging and bonding. Yeah. That's happening. Yes. And then Izzy then comes back towards the end of the seven chapters and says... I need you to take take me in. I'm going to be your assistant. Mm-hmm. I, this is something that I really want to do. Yes. So clearly, before we get, like, we're, we'll get into predictions, but clearly this is something that's going to be a building relationship. Absolutely. Then we have Moody and Pearl. Yes. Which mm-hmm. was about three chapters of the story, I feel. Yes. Moody has this curiosity of the Warrens and ends up biking to their rent to the rental property meets both Mia and Pearl and ends up having this like very I'm gonna say possessive real possessive friendship with Pearl like I found her first she's my friend no one else can have her kind of relationship which seems it's that fine line of it seems very innocent Mm -hmm. because she does want to be her she genuinely wants to be her friend he clearly likes her yeah even beyond a friend it seems yes but then it that's the dangerous part is he is now so possessive that anyone that wants to talk to her he says it's my like she's mine mm-hmm. I, I found her just like you said right she is a property for me mm-hmm. and it's i think he is well-meaning right but that is the danger that's, of that well-meaning yes exactly but that's also then what builds the relationship between pearl and trip and lexi mm-hmm. which 
is some of the story of going to the party. She would have probably never gone to these things. Mm-hmm. She would have not. She would not have gone shopping with Lexi mm-hmm. if it wasn't for, for Moody, Moody bringing her there. Yes. So now it develops this whole story just from that relationship of Moody right. and uh, Pearl. Right, and it's really Moody who is the catalyst of all of this. He first visits Mia and Pearl. Which he didn't do before, right? Like, one of the things that they said in, early in that, the book. That nothing, none of the siblings have ever visited the property before. Right. Exactly. And so he visits Pearl and Mia and then takes Pearl to his house, mm-hmm. which, again, is where the relationships start building, where Lexi also kind of sees Pearl as like a doll in a way. Yes, because they talk about her up yes. and doing her hair yes. and showing her off to her friends. And mm-hmm. I'm like, ooh, that's also problematic. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think one of the interesting things with all the kids, uh, all the Richardson kids, mm-hmm. are that I don't think a- any of them are they don't have bad intentions no but i think it's the fact that they're so protected within this community well more than the community but how they've grown up in this rich society they're very protected so they don't see anything wrong with anything that they're doing oh yeah but clearly from an outside perspective it's there's a lot of issues with how they're treating the warrants right I think with Trip, it's very interesting that it seems the most innocent, even though it's the most romantic. Yeah. So is Trip in love with Pearl? Because he says, I'm in love with you. He says, you know I love you. You know I love you. Yes. Right. And it's a, it's one of those phrases that you say jokingly, either as a teenager or as a young adult, right. trying, to, trying to pass or... Trying to test feelings, I think. Well, that and he's the popular kid at right, school. Right, right. I'm sure this isn't the first time he said this to a girl. Absolutely not. I, that's why I don't even think that he loves her. I don't think so. I think it's more of a flirtation. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Which is why I think it's so interesting that, at least for me, in my perspective, I usually think of romantic relationships as being less than wholesome. But... For some reason, with Trip and Pearl, even though the the tension is high and they seem to have eyes for each other, it seems very puppy love. Not like, like oh my gosh, I'm falling in love, but more like, ooh, I think they're cute. Right, and for Pearl, she states outright that she hasn't had the opportunity to have a relationship like this. Right. Let alone go and be able to sit down next to the person that she has a crush on. True. So this is her first love, which we all know first love is a really powerful love. Oh yeah, definitely. It stays in your mind for a long time. Right. Um, The other big relationship that we see is the one between Elena and Mia. Which isn't really... I wouldn't. I mean, I guess you can call it a relationship. By relationship, I mean they have now... Interaction. They're in each other's presence. Yes, definitely. You can definitely see the differences in the way both both women approach life. And how Elena comes to Mia as, I am this savior who is going to help you out of poverty. Especially in chapter 7, chapter 6 and chapter 7, when she offers... 
Mia a job when Mia already has a job, yes. and she already has earnings through through her photography and through her art, and Mia not wanting to rock the boat just accepts. But it's also accepting not only for the money, but also to watch over Mia. Uh, watch over Pearl. To watch over Pearl. Yeah. Because she notices these. these changes with her daughter and i mean it's the job that was offered but Mm -hmm. at the same time uh mrs richardson offers to buy a painting but not she didn't really offer she offered as in charity right you need my money right because you're clearly not doing well Mm Where the more we look at it from the perspective of Mia is she would do just fine. Right. But this is the life that she's chosen to live. Exactly. And just because she doesn't have material wealth or because she doesn't uh, she doesn't pursue material wealth doesn't mean that she doesn't have inner emotional wealth or even relational wealth, just like right. we said about her relationship with her own daughter. I'm curious what your feelings on Mia was because we both watched the series. Mm-hmm. You've read this book already once mm-hmm. through. This is my my first time reading it through. But I'm curious what your perspective is on who you see Mia as a person. I see Mia as a very observant yet sharp person. Not that she's trying to hide her intelligence, but she's guarded she's guarded and only offering this information to those she sees are worthy of being part of that inner that inner circle or that inner knowledge i was fascinated by how calm mia seemed through Mm. this whole process even when pearl brought home i think it was trip and uh, lexi moody and lexi was it moody and lexi moody and lexi she Mia stepped back and said this is what I wanted from Pearl it was for her to create these relationships not to go too much into outside of the book but it's not the character that I had originally pictured from Mm. Mia but then reading the story that's what I kept thinking was Mia is such a calm and thoughtful um I was gonna say that Mia is very aware and yeah. situationally aware and also personally aware and a well-adjusted human being. Right, right. You see it when she talks to herself, she reminds herself that Pearl is a teen. This is what we wanted for Pearl. This is the town we chose to stay in. So she keeps reminding herself of these decisions rather than trying to justify her emotions. Right. So in line with that, how has the pacing been for you? I think, just like we said with the hint, it's definitely a slow burn, but it's not boring either, which is interesting because usually when a story is slow, I tend to lose interest really quickly. But I think what goes hand in hand with the pacing for me at least is the change of points of view. Like, even though it is written in third person, it does follow Moody, and then it follows Pearl, and then it follows Lexi, and then El- and Elena Richardson, and then Mia. 
the changing points of view keeps me interested because I am trying to figure out what's going to happen next. And sometimes it allows me to zoom in and out of the present and looking into the future. So even though it's a slow burn, it's one that helps me also process. And I think it's very helpful since there are so many main characters. It helps me not only learn more about the character, but figure out what their motive is. Right. Like, who, who, is, the char- who is the person behind the character? Exactly. And it gives a well-roundedness for each person. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't just say that Trip is this cool guy, Moody is this awkward kid, right. Lexi is this popular girl, and Izzy is this outcast. Yeah, Even it- though those are, the, those are the typecasts that they're put into that's not all they are you're getting a more of a three-dimensional person absolutely i which i did really like i thought the first two chapters which in description were the brightest imagery Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of the house being burnt down i thought those were the slowest of Mm -hmm. all seven chapters Mm -hmm, and then as we started getting to characters it seemed much more interesting of what their lifestyles were right one thing i did notice was just trying to put a finger on the time period mm-hmm. they talked about how uh bill the father richardson answers his cell phone but no one else has one so he's extending his this, antenna yes so clearly we're talking about more 80s and 90s yes. later they talk about a jukebox playing uh, sir mix a lot smashing yes. pumpkins and spice girls so 90s maybe definitely i think it's it's nicely centered in the 90s yeah even though the pacing was a little bit slower. All these descriptions helped build this really beautiful picture of what I'm sure is just setting the scene for crap to happen. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You do see the sparks starting to fly. You do see embers starting to burn. And going back to the points of views and how there are different switches, I went into this rereading prepared to get confused because that's what I saw in many reviews that those who read the physical book or the ebook got confused by the switches and points of view especially when it was mid chapter however I feel like because it's written in third person rather than in first person it helped go from one character to narrator to the next character fairly seamlessly especially when they were conversing with each other or relating or interacting with each other yeah i think one of the things that you had mentioned was that this does seem like a turning point though Mm. it seems like we're at chapter seven we're starting to progress in the story a bit more Mm -hmm, definitely it feels like we're starting to go into a light jog and the turning point feels even more like a turning point because all the main characters have finally been properly introduced because for the longest time izzy was this background character that was a troubled child they Izzy didn't show up very often. They didn't hang out with the other siblings. They didn't really show up at school. And if they showed up at school, it was to cause trouble. But now that Izzy has been introduced, has uh, has made this connection with Mia, and has now said to Mia, I want to be your assistant. So essentially being a big part of Mia's life now. Right. Now it feels like, well... Everyone is here. What's going to happen next? Not to mention, I think we almost 
skipped over the part, one of the biggest parts of what I think was chapters one through seven, which is the the locks and the toothpicks. Mm, yes, Hilarious. the prank. Yes. I felt bad, but man, that's so funny. Yeah. But I also feel like any kids that might read this that are in high school, <laughs> it may not be the greatest idea to give them ideas on how to destroy the school. Also, I don't know many high schoolers who would want to read this book that's true like the pacing and the complexities i think not to say that high schoolers don't have the inner capability to process this book but i think that especially in this pandemic and all the things that are coming at at these young these young adults and these youth i don't think a lot of them have the mental capacity to process this book at this time but that was so wild yes and how deep how much detail there was and how the toothpick could be inserted but if it if it was jammed and splintered then it would take longer to take out and then not to mention that Celeste, the writer, yes. decided to go into full detail of the events that happened. Yeah. And then follow the teacher that had wronged Izzy. Yeah. All the way to the point of the bathroom. Yes. The whole revenge. Oh my gosh. Uh. I don't even, I don't think that that's even going to come back later. No. I think it's just that was the detail that needed to happen so yeah. that it felt like Izzy got. Her full revenge. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But speaking of which, what are your predictions? What are you... Well, I guess you kind of know what the story is going to be a bit. For the most part, yes. I feel like as I was reading the first few chapters, the, the details and the foreshadowing helped me remember all the different things that were going to happen, but I don't remember everything in detail. So I can still try to predict different things so instead of predictions for you Mm -hmm. maybe from what you remember reading do you feel like this set it up well to lead us into the next several chapters i feel like the first few chapters set it up so well there were so many Chekhov's gun and for those of you who are in the literary community Chekhov's gun is when a writer plants different objects or plants different ideas in in smaller portions ahead of the book so that later on it circles back and you're like oh my gosh now I understand why that's there so my foresight into the following chapters is that it's set up so well we're going to we're in for a hell of a ride I think without really knowing what the book offers I'm very interested in what these relationships build to, Mm -hmm. which I think is the next four chapters or so. Mm -hmm. I see these relationships building out into each coupling, let's say, Mm -hmm. starting to find their own space Mm -hmm. and then develop off of each other. I'm curious with the trouble that Izzy's going to continue to get into. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like this is the end of her. Oh, absolutely of not. bad Izzy. No. Which I don't think it's bad Izzy either. That's no. the wrong wording of Izzy kind of growing into this fire more. Right, yes. And Izzy is not bad or evil or a villain in and of herself. She can only be seen as a villain in comparison to the perfection of her family. Which is to say, the relationship between Trip and Pearl are gonna 
it's going to start turning tumultuous mm. between Pearl and Moody. It's going to be even worse because mm-hmm. Moody's going to have this underlying jealousy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to happen soon, but at some point, I can only imagine that Pearl is going to blow up at um, Mia. No, not well. I mean, that's going to happen for sure. Mm. Mother daughter relationship. I'm oh, yeah. almost positive. That's gonna happen. <laughs> but I was thinking more that relationship between Pearl and Lexi. Mm. I can see her. I can see Pearl starting to maybe in the future rely on Lexi Mm. and then that relationship to then blow up Mm -hmm. I mean Elena is just a very interesting character that Mm. we've only been superficially invited yeah introduced to so we'll kind of see what goes on there but absolutely our next pages that we're gonna read we're going to be reading from chapters 8 through chapter 12 so all the way until the end of chapter 12 for the second section of little fires everywhere and for those who are following along on the ebook that's pages 90 through 186 so follow along if you just like hearing us talk then that's okay too yes but if you have any comments any questions you can feel free to email us at asian book club pod pod at gmail.com our instagram asian book club pod pod and our bookshop if you want to purchase the book through our bookshop or if you want to see more recommendations you can find us at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash asian book club pod pod yeah uh we are eventually gonna find a great outro (laughs) (laughs) instead of just yelling at you thanks for joining us y'all yeah until next time Bye. bye